Today, I want to talk about discipleship. It's a whole new series we're doing. Now, discipleship is either something that's going to make you go, yes, that's exciting, or it's going to make you go, oh, gee, discipleship, that sounds like a boring thing. This year, we've been on quite a trajectory of talking about really becoming the people that we're meant to become. And we started with a series quite a few months ago where we talked about breaking addictions, if any of you remember that. And the breaking addictions is a really important topic for us to have actually spoken about because there are so many things of addictions that actually came to the surface and materialized after lockdown and, or maybe during lockdown and things actually got a little bit worse. And so that when we took it to the next step, talking about spirit, uh, to talking about uh, the fruits of the Spirit, what does it mean to actually have the Spirit within you and how does that manifest? And then the last month, we just talked about spiritually healthy habits, having the right habits to become healthy within ourselves. But now that we're at this place, there's been a big thing that has happened in society, and I don't know if you've known, but it's been really difficult. I've been speaking to a lot of business owners, etc., and they said it's been really hard to find workers. And people are going, do people not want to work anymore? Is it, is it, is it just, have we just stopped working now? And in fact, I had some business owner who said, it used to be hard to find good workers. It's now hard to find any worker or even a bad worker. Even churches are finding this tension where in churches, they're, they're, they're talking about, I'm going to talk a lot to a lot of pastors, but they're talking about how it's difficult to get people to want to do something anymore, to volunteer, to get back in the saddle and to actually be a part of running the church again or, or reaching the community. Have we gotten to this place as a church universal across this country and even around the world that we have forgotten what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I've been studying this for the last year or two because it's really been weighing on me a lot. What do we do with our discipleship? Are we even disciples if we become numb? In fact, there's a new name for it. They're calling it the great resignation. The great resignation. We can't get enough workers. We can't get enough volunteers. Charity workers are not operating. Charity, uh, charities are not able to find enough workers because of this new thing called the great resignation. What has happened to us? So we decided to ask a lot of questions of, well, what is it? What is a disciple? What does it look like to be in discipleship? And so this is what I came up with. The word disciple comes from a Greek word that none of us are gonna be able to say, right there, can't describe it. But it basically means this, a learner and a follower. Someone who is a learner, so it's a very common word in the ancient Near East, the, 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 sorry, the, the ancient Near East, this word disciple. Someone who is learning something. They're, they're, they're taking in, they're absorbing something. But also a disciple is someone who is a follower, meaning they're putting something out. As they're taking it in, they're putting it out. It's a combination of your belief and your behavior. You can't just believe something and then not be changed, not have the behavior of, of, of being a disciple. You can't even expect to have the behavior of a disciple if you're not actually learning. In fact, this first part of the word here, mathetio, whatever it's called, math is where we get mathematics, that boring subject that you hated at school. And the only person that applauded was a math teacher. <laughs> it's the mental effort that is needed to think something through. That's what a disciple must do. They must think something through. They must consider it, and then act upon what it is that they have now chosen to believe. 
Okay, if that's what a disciple is, then what is discipleship? I love this phrase. It's a deliberate apprenticeship where a person actively imitates the life and teaching of a master, which makes the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. A living copy of the master. In fact, this is why we actually became called Christians. Christians didn't call themselves Christians. It was pagans who called us Christians because the word Christian means little Christ. Literally, someone's going, you're just trying to be a little Christ. Who do you think you are? You're trying to be like Jesus and stuff? You're just a little Christ. It was actually not a term of endearment. It was a curse. It was a slur upon the early Christian church. But we are meant to be like the early Christian church that are trying to become like our master. Even when I was a child, I remember I, all I wanted to do was be like my brother who was nine years older than me because I thought he knew everything and I thought he was cool. And I remember one day he came back from school and he talked about how he had a French exam. And so the first day I went to school, I came home and I said, mom, I had a French exam. And she said, you had a what? I said, I had a French, I didn't have a French exam. I was just trying to be like my brother. That's all. And this is what we do, right? If you ever had a sibling or a, a brother or a sister and you wanted to be like them or even a really good friend, that's you becoming like a disciple. That's what a picture of a disciple is. So when is it then that someone actually becomes a disciple? Simply this, the moment you follow Christ. The moment you decide to say, I'm following Christ, that's when you become a disciple. Wonderful. Then who is a disciple? Who is the person who is now a disciple? Well, Jesus said in John, in, in John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's who a disciple is. Someone who decides that they want to keep the commandments. Okay, then what is the commandment? Well, we remember this, Jesus summed it up. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So in a sense, there's three people that you've got to love. You've got to love the Lord. You've got to love your neighbor and you've got to love yourself. That's the very things we've been talking about over the last four or five months. That's what we've been talking about and that's what we've been doing. So now we could all say, wonderful, done, check, we're finished. And just like, uh, just like a, a, a now that we've done all that stuff, we can go home because we've finished it. We've loved ourselves. We've loved our neighbor. We've loved God. That's the shortest sermon in the world. Now we're all disciples, right? But just like a Snuggie commercial in the middle of the night, wait, there's more. There's more. Because there was one th last thing that Jesus said to us before he went. In Matthew 28, 19, 20, it says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So he's basically saying this, go what you have done, go tell other people how to do this as well, to become a learner of Jesus and to become a mimicker of Jesus to become a learner and a doer doing the exact same thing that Jesus told us to. Essentially what Jesus is saying, he's saying that disciples make disciples. So if you're not making disciples, are you a disciple? Well, wait a second, am I not a disciple now? Well, maybe it's that being a disciple is a journey that we're on and we have to learn how to get to this place of becoming a complete disciple. But if you want to identify yourself as a complete disciple, disciples make disciples. 
me say it again in case you missed it. Disciples make disciples. For anyone who's a little slower, disciples make disciples. That's it. That's what it comes down to. If we're going to be called Christians and we're going to be disciples, we have to make disciples. So why do so many Christians not make disciples? Why have we been affected by the great resignation that has affected our culture? Well, I want to suggest to you three different things I believe that the great apostle Peter went through that nearly took him out from being a follower of Christ. Now, Peter, as we know, was like the original gangster, right? He was the original guy who was tough. He was burly. He had the ability to go, hey, Jesus, tell me what to do. I'll go get it done. I'll go make that happen. I'm sure you can picture someone that you know in your family right now that's just like that. Just tell me, put me in. I'll get this done, right? They're the bravado. They've got all the ability to go make it happen. This was Peter. He was tough. He was bold. The Catholics believe he was the the first pope. He was the guy that Jesus said, on you, I'm gonna start building my church. You're gonna be the first guy and I'm gonna build my church on you and what you have confessed. But as Jesus had been taken off by the Roman guards, as he had been betrayed by his people and by the priesthood, Peter followed Jesus to see where they were gonna take him. And there must have been this fear of knowing, am I next? If they're about to do this to my master, am I the next one on the chopping board? If they're about to crucify him, are they about to crucify me? Jesus had told him a few years ago, take up your cross and follow me. This is before Jesus even went to the cross. Take up your cross and follow me too. So what I want to do is I want to read a quick story from Mark chapter 14, verses 66 to 72. And it says this, while Peter was below in the courtyard as he was creeping around, seeing, wondering what they were going to do with Jesus, and he was spying them on the other side of the courtyard to see what they're going to do. And they saw how they were insulting him and beating him up and treating him so badly. One of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. You, and I, I know he said, and he went out into the entryway. He decided to walk away because he was being accused by something. I need to get away from this young girl. I need to not be around her. I don't need this type of light upon me. When the servant girl saw him there in the other place, she said again to those standing around, hey, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. It's not me. Like Shaggy, it wasn't me. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses. He began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. I can't imagine being in that position of denying the very Son of God, even though you have literally not only touched him, kissed his cheek, followed him, heard him, seen him do miracles. And at this point, he backed away and denied the Savior. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Jesus had said to him earlier, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. He broke down and wept. Something broke within him. 
He was devastated. Here are three things that I believe that stop you from making disciples. The first one is this. It's shame. Shame. Mark 14, 66 to 68 says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. Are you kidding me? This guy was a grown adult man who was a fisherman. He must have had muscles for miles. He was a strong, burly guy. He was ready to take over the world. He was a revolutionary at heart. And a young girl came up to him and said, hey, aren't you with that guy, Jesus? And he freaked out. How? does a young girl have so much power over him? How is it the smallest, simplest situations can make you weak? They only make you weak when you're in shame. They become your Achilles heel. Maybe you're asking, who am I? I'm someone who doesn't have a right to have, to be called a Christian. I have no right to tell anyone else about Jesus or to tell them what to do to disciple them because I have failed myself. I'm someone who's not sexually pure. I'm someone who's lied. I've cheated. I have I've stolen from other people. Who am I? Listen, the enemy uses the smallest things to shame you. He might remind you of your past, but he doesn't bring up all your past. You're good enough to do that by yourself. What he does, he just brings up a little thing, goes, yeah, but did you do that? Are you not that guy? You're really this. Just a question, that's all it takes. Just a little seed of doubt upon us. The enemy uses these things. He brings up your lists of sins, your problems, your inadequacies. I remember when I was a child and I'm being at school and one of these kids went, hey, Brunton, aren't you one of those Christians in front of all my friends? I heard your dad's a preacher man. He's one of these ministers, right? Are you in all that stuff? And I was just melting inside because when you're 10 years old, I don't know what to say. Being a Christian wasn't cool. The fact that my dad was a minister in Scotland wasn't cool at all. And I felt the shame come upon myself. Or maybe you're someone who's actually, your life has fallen apart. When my brother went through this a few years ago where his wife actually left him and he was such a committed Christian, a committed Christian who gave and gave and gave to the church and gave to other people. But when his marriage fell apart, he felt such shame. Who am I to tell other people how to live their lives for Jesus when I have failed? And yet if I could... Imagine him standing up here on the stage. I would say he has more to say about Jesus than I do. He is worthy of talking about Christ more than I am. But shame takes us out. It takes us down. Shame condemns you. Can I tell you how bad it is? It's as bad as me kicking a soccer ball off the stage into an old lady's face when it was the first time she visited. Anyone here for that? Yeah, shame takes you down. The dark night of the soul that comes after the shame that you feel. Maybe you went through shame by yourself in the dark. I did it publicly, so suck it up. <laughs> and broadcast on the internet. Everyone gets to see it. Let's tweet it. Let's, let's loop it over and over. Ah, 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 ah. Yeah. What shame do you have? <laughs> Boo-hoo. Here's the second thing that follows shame. If shame condemns you, fear follows it. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again, not to him, not to Peter, 
she said it to those standing around. This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. Why is this going to fear? Because she wasn't really a threat. She was only bringing up his shame. But now she turned it into a threat where now the people around going, hey, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? They could start doing to him what they were already doing to Jesus. Fear manifests when something is a threat. An opposition makes people shut up. That's what we call cancel culture. It's powerful now in these days. You could lose your job. You could lose your friends. You could lose your reputation if you start speaking up for what you actually believe in. Now, we don't like what Nick Beecher says. We don't like this. We're gonna shut him down. He's too mouthy with his Jesus stuff. We're not gonna give him a job anymore. We're not gonna let him to work here. No, let's tell everybody what he's doing. Or maybe you have a fear within yourself where it's like, well, if I don't have enough money and I'm not gonna be able to pay for my bills and pay for looking after my, my children, so then what I'll do is I'll just, I'll bring it down a notch. I'll, I'll take it from Trump level all the way down to this normal level, right? I just won't say anything anymore. And we back away from our faith. We back away from what we really believe. But Jesus had said to Peter before, he said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of what you say about Jesus and what he's done in your heart. Why would you back away from that when he has changed your life or maybe he hasn't changed your life? Maybe you're just a believer, but it hasn't gone from your head to your heart to your hands. Maybe there hasn't been a change in your heart. Maybe you're just a follower in your head, but there's not been a change in your heart. When I was a 14-year-old boy, I was at school, and it wasn't a fun school at all. It was, it was a very hierarchy of bullies at the top and nerds at the bottom, which is where I was. And I remember going to my dad's church one night, one, one morning, and I walked in and I saw a guy who was at my school, he was one of the biggest bullies there. And he was, some of you know him because he actually used to come to our church and now he lives in the south of Florida. And this is before he was a Christian and, and, and his name was Paul, Paul Melvin. In fact, his old name used to be Rama. And, and what he used to do is he'd come down, he'd find you wherever you were and he'd go, give me your money, whatever your money is. And you didn't want to say no because he was the school bully. And I remember him being at church one day and I looked at him and I'm like, oh God, he's after me. He's found out where I live. And I remember looking at him and I'm like, oh, and I remember slipping down in the pew just going, please don't let him see me. I don't need him to see me because I was in fear. Because if he finds out I go to this church, if he finds out I'm a Christian, that's it, I'm screwed. And then he came to the other side of the building and was like, hey, Brunton, is that you? Didn't see you there. Is this your church? <laughs> Yes, it is my church. Oh, cool. Could you give me a ride home? Who do you say no to? The bully? No, you don't say no to the bully. And I drove him home and he kept asking me questions about this Jesus guy. But I was too scared. I would tell him stuff, but I was in fear because of what he could do to me. See, fear always follows shame. Fear then ends up crippling you. Fear cripples you. Fear cripples you. And then it gets to the last one, which is probably the hardest one of all, and that is pride. In Mark 14, verse 17 and 71, it says, after a little while, now Peter had some time to think about what had just happened. 
he had time to think about his shame and his fear. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to, look at this, call down curses. What shape was he in that he was willing to call down curses upon himself or even the people around him? And he swore to them, I swear on my life, on my mother's life, on my dead mother's life, he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Have you ever been in that place? Maybe you've not. Maybe you've not been persecuted that much. His fear, a shame had turned into pride. Two times he had the chance to turn and to stand up and say, you know what, I am with Jesus. Yes, he has changed my life. But the third time he had the opportunity, it now turned into pride for you theological nerds. This is the same pattern that Adam went through. Adam felt shame when he was naked and then he felt fear when he hid behind the bush and then he felt pride when he said, it wasn't me, it was the woman I was with, said Shaggy. It was her. Same pattern. Adam went through it. Peter went through it. I believe that Jesus needs to break this pattern in each and every one of us. How many times have you had a chance to change and you didn't? Pride takes you to curses. Peter literally called them upon himself. How do I know this? Because in Proverbs 16, 18, it says, pride goes before a destruction. That's the curse right there. A haughty spirit before a fall. These are both the things of curses right here. And pride comes just before it. In fact, so much is pride a problem in our lives that it says in James 4, 6 that God actually opposes the proud. No, he's not just like, hey, well, when you get it sorted out, come back and see me. It's not like God is neutral in this situation. He's like, now that you've gotten proud, I'm now against you. I'm removing my protection. I'm removing my blessing. I am not keeping you from the enemy's hand. You are now being handed over to the enemy. That's a scary place to be in. I could tell you so many examples of that. A very good friend who he lied, he lied to the immigration service about his status in America. And I said, bro, you can't do that as a Christian and think you'll get away with it. You need to fix this. And he's like, oh, I'll get it fixed, I'll get it fixed. And I asked him again months later and I said, did you do something about it? And he said, no. And I said, bro, I'm not trying to do this because I'm an immigrant too, right? You know, I'm not trying to do this just because, because I'm trying to get you kicked out of the country. I'm just telling you, you're going to lose the blessing and the protection of God if you don't get yourself out of this. You've got to come clean. He goes, but what happens if I get kicked out of the country? And I said, God has a plan for you. You don't need a green card. You need God on your side. Because if God is not on your side because of your pride, you're screwed in the name of Jesus. Pride is a killer. How do I know if I suffer from one of these? You know if you suffer from shame and fear and pride because pride, sorry, shame condemns you, fear cripples you, and pride curses you. There's a pattern here. 
There's a journey that every disciple will go on to have each one of these things broken. Why didn't Jesus just keep Peter from these things? Why did he let him go through all these things? I'm gonna tell you, because these things will not stop you. These things will stop you from following Christ. These are the things that are the stumbling blocks that stop you from building a strong marriage from being able to create your children into the type of people that God has designed them to be. These are the things that will stop you from becoming who you're called to be as well. Peter had to be broken of them. What makes us think that we're not meant to be broken of them? I know of people who have decided to even leave church because their spouse got mad at the church or upset at the church and they're like, you know what? Well, I'm just, I'm just not gonna come here anymore. And then the spouse who's not upset goes, well, I love this church. I, I wanna stay here. No, no, if you wanna stay here, I'm going my own way. And then the weak spouse says, well, fine, I guess I'll just go after you. Because they're too scared of losing their marriage. They're too scared of the shame that might come their way. And they're giving up the community. They're giving up their discipleship. They're giving up the following of Christ. And you can say, no, no, they went and found another church. Can I tell you how many couples I've seen who didn't go find another community? They didn't go find another church. They didn't get into discipleship again. And they've lost their faith. It went cold. Spouses, the effect that you have on your marriage is more powerful than you realize. You can't afford for your offense and your pride to take out your mate's faith. Can I be very clear about that? I've seen it time and time again. These things must be broken. Shame must be broken in us. Fear must be broken in us. Pride must be broken in us. That is the only way we're gonna become complete disciples. It must move from the following that is appearing in your head to the change that is in your heart to the great commission that comes to your hands. Let it go from your head to your heart to your hands and become a disciple that makes disciples because that's what God has called us to. I realize this is a tough teaching. I realize this might not be the month that you actually want to appear in person. Maybe you'll catch up on YouTube, you know, later on. But this is what we're going to talk about this week. This is what we're going to talk about for the rest of the month. Now that we've talked about getting rid of our addictions and becoming healed and full of the Spirit, let's go be disciples now. Forget the, the great resignation. Let's start to sign up again for being disciples. Let's stand this morning as we end our service. Repeat after me. Father. Okay, that's okay. Only five of you. I'll go with that. Jesus, just give me five. I got them. Father in heaven. We want to be disciples. We want to be learners and followers. Now we know that that means we shall be broken. Break our shame. Break our fear. Break our pride. We say this in fear and trembling because we don't know what will come our way. 
but we just want to be like you, Jesus. We ask this in your precious son's name. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you.